Yamagata. Welcome to a very special edition of The Third Wheel, a podcast from Herbert Sue Threehills on all things ESG. Regular listeners will have been expecting podcast host Tim Stutt and Mel Debenham, but this is a very special takeover edition. My name is Barbie Lee Kirby, and I'm a Nyimba, Wailwen, Barkindji, Marora, Gamilarai, and Jewalarai woman from Brewarana. The Third Wheel podcast will be hosted by Whittingers, two First Nations women. So joining me as a co-host is First Nations woman, Alira Jeffrey, a graduate in our Brisbane office, currently on rotation in the real estate team and co-chair of the Brisbane RAP committee. Thanks, Barbie Lee. I'm Alira Jeffrey, a proud Wiradjuri woman from central New South Wales, Darlington Point area. And I'm so happy to be joining you for this timely conversation. Um, before we get into things, uh, I would like to welcome our expert third wheel guest, Charlie Sue Frau. Charlie Sue is a former advisor for Wiyani Youth Dagani, as well as a board member of the Dusseldorp Forum. The podcast usually begins with asking our guests for a personal reflection on the importance of ESG. However, uh, more relevant to this episode is our individual connection to country. And so I thought Charlie Sue can let us know uh, what country she comes from or has connection to. Uh, hi, Alira and Barbie Lee. It's, it's an honour to be um, invited to be a guest on this program and the takeover. I love that. Um, so I'm a Nyamba woman. Um, I'm Barbie Lee's cousin, actually, from Brewarana, northwestern New South Wales, on the Barwon River, um, and really excited to be uh, part of this yarn today. Yes, Charlie Sue and I are mob, um, so it doesn't surprise um doesn't surprise anyone that I, I reached out to her to, to come on, you know, this this third world takeover, you know, <laughs> got to look after family. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it is wonderful to have you with us, Charlie Sue. I understand that you played a fundamental role in the community consultation process for a project that was led by Auntie June Oscar, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner. The project resulted in a report for the support and recognition of First Nation women's voices called Wiyani Yul Thagani. The report was recently launched with a panel discussion of inspiring First Nations women and Charlie Sue was one of the panellists. Charlie Sue, given your involvement in the community consultations, what was one of the standout learnings for you and how did this uh, process come about? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm I'm really proud of this work, and it's such an honour to um to continue to voice it, and um you know continue to give it life and breathe life into the report. And so it's really great that you're having this conversation internally um about it. So I guess the report. Uh, what's really significant about um, Commissioner June Oscar is that. Uh, an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner working at the Human Rights Commission was established in the 90s and was part of the reconciliation movement in Australia and the um, social justice package. And since the 90s, uh, only males have held the term as social justice commissioners. And so I think what's really important is that uh, Ani June was the first female to actually hold that position and it's a really significant position of power within the Australian government and also um, so I guess 
she acknowledged the significance of her being a female in that position um, and the power that comes with that. And what she really wanted to do through her term is, as a social justice commissioner, you you, you make the decision about, um, you know, what key areas that you want to focus on. Some people have done it on reconciliation. Some people have done it on native title. And Ani June um, committed to a process to ensure that women and girls from across the country's voices were heard um, properly and adequately. And I think uh, the last process of this kind was done in the late 1980s, and that was over 30 years ago, where there was conversations with women and girls, um, you know, about some, it was called the Women's Business Report, and it was conversations about what they think was really important. And um, that was 30 years ago. And so this process was about both going back to that old work and what was really sad and um, difficult to see was that that old work actually, a lot of those problems still existed today and a lot of those issues that those women's raised still existed. So what Arnie June and her team wanted to do was really just travel around the country, speak to women and girls and chat to them about, you know, what are their issues that they see in the community? What What's their vision for the future? But also importantly, what does being a woman mean to, to community members and to themselves? And I guess, what is the strength that comes with being an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander woman? And, uh, you know, she went to 50, over 50 different communities across Australia and um, spoke to over 3,000 women. So it was quite a comprehensive process. And we ended up with a three, we ended up with a, you know, hundreds of pages of those women's stories and voices. And um, there's a really great, succinct little community guide that people can find on the website that really points to kind of some of the recommendations that women came up with and, you know, what their solutions were for their own community. Mm, yeah, thank you. One of the um, solutions that came came out of the report that really stood out to me was, you know, the the ability to interrupt the crisis cycle and um, when I read uh, that the community consultations actually involved not only First Nations women, but First Nation girls um, aged from, you know, 12 through to 17. Mm. Um, and, you know, to have those, you know, young girls in the room, you know, with elders and, and other First Nations women and community members um, is, is quite, I would imagine, was quite powerful. I mean, while you were there, what what do you think were some of the, um, you know, strengths that came out um, from a lot of those discussions? Yeah, I, I love that. I love that word in Barbie Lee. Um, because it, it, was, it was a process where women felt like they were involved in something and like their their voices hadn't been heard that they've been silenced and marginalized for such a long period of time so so women came to these conversations and and what I really loved about um about commissioner Oscar and and her team is that they really thought long and hard about what the report should look like and they really determined that that the report should be coming from a strength based approach and so you walked into that room um there were separate women's and girls conversations for each community that we went to so you walked into you walked into the room and the first thing you have to do is just uh, sit around the table and introduce yourself and say what makes you strong as an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander woman and I think you know when when you sit in that space and you're sitting in a room full of women you actually you feel empowered by 
what people are talking about their strengths are. And I think that was such a fundamental difference in the way reports are often written about us and we controlled our own narrative. And I think that's one of the really empowering things is just like, because we know, we know there are issues, we know there are crisis as you said Barbie there's there's crisis in our communities there's so many issues when it comes to housing safe safe homes the racism that we experience like there's so many various issues but we know at the end of the day it's our strength as black women that you know that 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 is that that is that pivotal moment and turning point. That's exactly right and I think having those young women hearing that conversation is is very powerful and what I would do to have been um, in those rooms at the time as, as a black woman myself, um, I believe Alira has has a few questions um, up her sleeve that she would be, be really grateful to ask. Um, thanks. So you mentioned that um, highlighting and strengthening the voices of First Nations women and girls is um, crucial, a very important thing, and it, it was um, one of the focuses of the report. Um, and also um, the first overarching recommendation of the report discusses the introduction of a national Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Women and Girls Action Plan, which um, involves fostering an enabling environment so women and girls have the opportunity to thrive. In terms of highlighting and strengthening um, First Nations women's voices in the workplace, do you, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on how how we could help foster this environment um, because I know a lot of workplaces are focusing on promoting diversity and inclusion from a purely gendered perspective, but we might be failing to recognise the intersectional nature of the issue. So just keen to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, it's a really great question and the action the action plan actually considers and it's still in draft at the moment but I'm sure they'd be okay with me saying this but the action plan considers what needs to change at the policy and government level what needs to change in our communities what needs to change uh in different sectors and and of course um corporate Australia has a has a massive role to play in this and especially considering considering so many of our young people are now entering the corporate sector um and so I think it's a really important question because there are some really there's some really easy practical individual things that people can do um and then you know of course there's the big changes of course it's um you know ensuring that there's adequate uh decision makers aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander decision makers on your boards but then also making sure that you really consider gender you know gender parity on your boards um I've often considered what the role of an individual person is to to properly engage people in conversations. So I think there's some really individual practical things that people can do. Um, you know, if there are people in meetings and you acknowledge that women, a woman hasn't had a voice yet, or you acknowledge that there's young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the meeting always ensure that you create space and invite people to be part of this conversation. Um, you know, and as black women, we often, well, you know, we're black and then we're also women and we won't impose ourselves into conversations. And I think there's there's space that people have to create in order to um, in order to foster that type of environment. Um, I think that's a really easy kind of simple things that we can do. There's also consideration always about 
you know, uh, roles and, you know, whether your roles and positions are actually reading, reaching the right audiences and whether they're targeted to community members or targeted to the type of talent that you want to attract in your organisation. So I think, you know, there's always a consideration on the gender balance and whether we're swinging too far. I'm currently in a team with three guys and we're very conscious um, that we need to ensure that we've get you know, another woman to this team because I don't want to carry the weight of all the conversation. Um, so, and then there's also there just some really practical reasons why you would engage or create space for women um, in your organisation. And, you know, it might be stuff such as you're going out to community and you want to talk to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. You want Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to feel safe um, when they're talking to you. And a lot of that time, you also want to make sure women are included in that conversation. And so it's easier just to talk one-on-one to our community. So, yeah, it was a very long-winded way, but, yeah, <laughs> on to the next one. <laughs> just on that, Charlie Sue, I find myself reflecting on my own behaviours um, in in meetings and in particularly in team meetings when I do withhold my opinion and input um, until, you know, until the end of a meeting um, on many occasions or until a team member um, sometimes say, oh, you know, Barbie, do you have any anything you'd like to add or any reflections? And that's purely, um, you know, one, confidence and, and the fact that, you know, I am a First Nations woman working at a commercial, you know, at a large commercial law firm, but it's also directly related back to my cultural upbringing. You know, like we are taught from a very young age as black women to, you know, allow elders to speak, allow others in the community to have have a say. And um, and, and that's, not a, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's, that's, that gives us time to reflect on our own individual responses. And I find that that style of um, conducting yourself in a meeting is very different to, to the way um, corporate Australia normalises, right? Because we're so used to back home in community listening and active listening and then having our input. Um, and it makes me wonder um, of that, you know, I mean, Charlie, so I could, from, you know, as people in Western New South Wales prior to colonisation, our communities, and, and and to a certain extent, our um, matriarchal communities, like our women ran the show and to some extent still do. Um, and it makes me wonder, you know, those, those influences in community that, you know, stands strongly today and, and um, people come to mind like your mum, Annie Trisha, um, uh, who just also ran for local council <laughs> and how, you know, the impacts of colonisation have really interrupted that matriarchal confidence and inherent right to be in a space, if that makes sense, and then indirectly, I guess, impacts, you know, my individual um, confidence to sit in a, in a, in a corporate room and, and, and have a meeting. If, does that make any sense? at all i mean i think i keep coming back to these community consultations when when you know you had young girls from you know the age of 12 through to 17 in a room with elders um and you don't see that often um in, in when we're talking about you know um policy and and um other various business within the community it's usually very much separated these days um 
and how how important that is for women to see that representation. Um, I mean, to see you in Brie Warrenal walk into a room with Annie June Oscar leading a lot of those conversations. I mean, your presence in that room was powerful in itself, you know. Yeah, I think, Barbie, I love, I love, um, I appreciate that. Um, and I just think what was what was really great about the, the consultations is is that the space was held equally for women and girls. And I think mm. um, I think there's not many there's not many examples in our communities at the moment where where we do create those spaces. We yeah. don't we we don't we aren't there's no there's no leadership programs you know there may be leadership programs sporadically and this is definitely one of the one of the things the young girls addressed is that sporadically they had different women's programs or girls programs but then consistently there was Clontarf programs for young men so you don't really uh, I guess you know there's lack of opportunity to learn from our elders both in our old ways and also in in new ways and and Mm -hmm. and having elders or you know or parents or our parents create create space for us to learn and grow and I think what what was really pivotal in that moment was also our responsibilities as, as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to each other and and supporting women young women to grow and I think you know that's it's a really great example of kind of what's been coming since the since the release of the report. Exactly and at the core of who we are right it, it, we are um, people who don't necessarily think about ourselves all the time, <laughs> individual mm. selves. We are, um, you know, we are based on relationships and relationships with each other and our family and our elders and people around us. Um, yeah. And to, um, yeah, to have that approach going forward within community for First Nations young women and girls will be so, so beneficial. Yeah. So HSF is soon to release uh, our new Elevate Wrap in March next year. And our Elevate Wrap consists of uh, three pillars, so the justice pillar, uh, governance and truth. And under um, underpinning those pillars is cultural empowerment. And Charlie, Sue and Alira, you will both know as black women that cultural empowerment is the foundation to to you know who we are and what it is that we do and how we lead our lives so you would imagine that cultural empowerment is the foundation to both justice governance and truth and uh just in in regards to the women's voices report charlie sue how do you think that the report is able to inform our justice pillar and and the justice work that we can potentially do, particularly in the criminal justice space um, around First uh, First Nations women and and elevating their voices. Yeah, uh, I, that's um, really great. So I'm I'm also co-chair of the Lindley's uh, Rap Working Group, and we're at the Elevate stage. And um, uh, let me just chuck this in: when we're talking about reconciliation, that it has to move beyond the frameworks of of what currently exists, um, you know, under our wraps and organisations. So it's really great to hear you talk about justice, governance, and truth, because I think I think there's got to be, you know, it's almost two decades on um, 
since the first Reconciliation Action Plan has come to life and a number of organisations are currently at the Elevate level at the moment. So there's got to be a chance for us to both um, question what are the bigger what are the bigger issues that we should be grappling with um, when it comes to reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. And mm-hmm. second to that, there's also got to be... Um, how do we ensure that our wrap properly aligns to our our work? And I think your your company talking about justice is is so important because that is a sphere of influence that you currently have. Um, and you have access to you know the top lawmakers in the country, and you also have opportunities to support people who feel disenfranchised in their local communities when they're walking down their street and interacting with police and, uh, you know, interacting with systems that aren't supportive. Like we've seen and that this report and we all know that incarceration of Indigenous women is amongst the highest um, in the world and we are continuing to see um, high incarceration rates of women. That, and I just urge everyone um, working in this space to actually, there's a whole chapter on justice and I'd urge everyone to go in and have a look at that report and really consider what, what you could do in that space. And if you have any power, influence, or if you have any opportunities to provide support, to really lean in and, and do the work because that's what the report and that's what the women and girls are really asking for. So I thought a nice way to close out this conversation was to ask you, Charlie Sue, um, as was asked in those community consultations that you mentioned, what are your strengths as a First Nations woman? Oh, what a uh, what a hard question to finish with, Alira. Um, and it and it should be really simple. Um, but I guess I guess we all know that so much shapes us and influences us. Um, but clearly, um, clearly for me, it's my family. Um, you know, I come from a really strong line of uh, staunch women in my family, uh, you know, and a brother that puts up with us all. Um, <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, firstly, it's family and, and the family you create along the way. And uh, one of the one of the most beautiful things about our, our family is that, like, it's not just our immediate family, it's our community. And, um, you know, I certainly know when my mum's, mum passed away when she was at a very young age and she was a teenager it was the community that looked after looked after our family so you know it was the black women in the community who really supported us and um you know supported them to get through as young uh, as young as young teenagers grappling with loss so I think there's there's that family whether it's your bloodlines or whether it's your community um you know, I like to draw my strength from the river. I think, you know, the river tells us so much about our old people, our old stories um, and our culture. And I think everything for me is grounded and um, connected to the river. And so I think that's that's where I feel strongest. I feel strongest by the river, strongest by the water and strongest by a place where I know my ancestors have lived for thousands of generations. And, you know, it's it's such a privilege and an honour to be part of that long line and to be part of such a strong, strong group of matriarchs in our family. Yeah, yeah that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Mm. The good old Barn River, hey? I think, and obviously I'm always drawn back to the Barn River. I think, um, you know, I, I firmly believe that water has memory and mm. it's not necessarily 
you know, us who have the connection to, to the Barwon River, Charlie Sue. It's the mm. Barwon River that has the connection to us and it just yeah. keeps drawing us home. Every yeah. Time. Yeah, I know. Every <laughs> lockdown, like, Bobby and I are just like, all right, I'll see you in Bree. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you in Bree. Yeah. I'll be Bree. Um, yeah, no, thank you for, for sharing that. And it makes me wonder what would it look like for the next generation of First Nations women when their voices are heard and truly and authentically heard. And I would imagine that their lived experience would be a lot different to ours, you know, that their reality would be a lot different to our current reality where, you know, um, crisis is very much a part of our lived experiences um, as black women in Australia. Um, so thank you so much, Charlie Sue, for joining us today. And thank you, Valera, for co-hosting with me. Uh, today was very needed and um, a very powerful discussion. I would like to close the podcast with a Nimba word, a traditional word from the country where Charlie Sue and I come from. Um, the word I chose today is maradabu. And maradabu is the beginning, so the, the dreaming. Um, but it essentially means in the beginning. And I think this this word in particular is quite um, suitable for the conversation today because this is essentially, you know, the beginning for First Nations women off the back of the, the First Nations Women Voices report that where, you know, our voices are heard and, and will be heard and we will be pushing for our voices and the next generation of First Nations women voices to be heard. So the word today is maradapu, um, going forward. Very beautiful word. Thank you for sharing, Barbie. Um, I know personally I'm very excited to see where this where this goes and I'm hoping that, um, yeah, lots of, lots of good comes from this report and things are implemented and actioned and um, yeah, just very excited to see what the future holds, I guess, as cliche as that sounds. Um, so um, thank you also to the audience for listening. Uh, it was a um, pleasure closing out the third wheel for uh, 2021 on behalf of um, Barbie Lee, Mel, Tim and myself. Please enjoy these holidays. Um, we look forward to continuing this discussion in the new year. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.